motivation behind the Buddhist teaching is for a awakening, for clarity, knowing, insight, illumination, aloka, uh, illumination, realization. And it's realization about uh, how we suffer, how we struggle, and we feel stress and conflict and to acknowledge this, to not be ashamed of this, to not feel something's odd about me in this, is to, so there's no doubt about it, this is a common human experience and it's, uh, it's our entry in a way, the reason why we should practice in the first place is not in order to know anything, really, or to other than just to, um, to understand the struggle, the suffering that occurs to us as an experience, and also there's an end to this. So to have no doubt about that, that there is an end. There's a stopping of that. And there's a process we can undertake that brings that around. Mm. And the process involves both, uh, recognizing where does where does suffering, where does the struggle begin, where is it, where can we enter into it, where is it, could we cut it off, where's the the root of that? Mm. So it's this is considered right right view to have this understanding of what the Buddha's teaching is about. And it's only about this, actually. Everything else is taught just as an expedient means in order to bring around this actual experience of clarity around the struggle that we have, the willingness <coughs> to meet that, because we're not ashamed of it, we're not frightened by it, we're not guilty of taking it personally. But we think, oh, this is the place where if you really met this, and understood it, opened up to it, and explored it, that you could find how the process begins, and you could stop doing it. It's a process that we do, we participate in it, we somehow are unconscious in somewhat seemingly involuntary way. Do this, we struggle, we we conflict, we... um, um, we behave in this 
way, psychologically, emotionally, sometimes physically and verbally. So the Buddha's just saying this so that, so that there should be no doubt about this. There's no, uh, one should look at this, one should open to it, one should take an interest in it. Mm. And uh, if you're really eager to, to bring around the ending of this, mm. so if, then this is really the prime focus other things kind of built are secondary to that, or if they can help one with that. Uh, so the Buddha taught many things, but really for this purpose. So things you can understand about nature of consciousness, or um, you know, different levels of mind, and you can develop different func- different levels of meditation, and interest in kind of subtle energies and so forth. And this is all fine, provided you're doing it with the intention, the inclination to bring around, to understand suffering and to bring around the stopping of that. Mm. Being in a monastery is for this, it's to understand suffering, it's not to not have any. To understand it, to be able to find the resources to meet that and to handle that and to stop it, to stop doing it. There's a certain taking responsibility for that, for the suffering that we experience. Everything that we experience in this way is part of our self, part of our process. Uh, nothing that we experience that isn't somehow part of us, otherwise you wouldn't be able to experience it. Know, somehow, so that the, we can find, well, you make me suffer, this makes me suffer, she makes me suffer, they make me suffer, and so forth, and all these different conjugations and declensions of how to suffer. But essentially, um, yeah, they, there could be things that catalyze this um, grievance, this sadness, this fear, this irritation, this um, perplexity, this, you know, things that can do that but really the very uh, trigger of it is something that's right here in my heart mm. and we may of course also acknowledge yeah well it, it does take time to build up the skills and the strength and the clarity to really get to that place um, so a certain degree of screening from the you know, the raw impingement of experience is necessary in order to maintain focus, in order to have the time to build up the, <coughs> the strength, the clarity, the agility to handle it. So this is really our aim, is to handle it. Mm. Also, for the Buddhists, this is the awakening process, is really through this door, this door of suffering, struggle conflict, not through any other door.
So the this is coped so through this in this particular way, then the Buddha could summarize experience, the way experience happens to us in a range of ways that would be expedient for that. And one one way in which it is summarized is to recognize the experience that happens to us comes and goes, it's changeable, it's inconstant, it's variable, fluctuating, comes in waves and surges. It's also, uh, even in the most predictable, apparently predictable environments, it's actually unpredictable, it's chaotic. We don't quite know what the next moment will be. You have a rough idea, it will be something like this, but you don't, you couldn't say exactly what the next moment will be. What the day will bring, whether it will be bad news, uh, pleasure, disease, joy, you know, gifts, blame, whatever, you don't really know, it's, it's unpredictable, and but it changes, it's inconstant. This is the way experience happens. When we so this is a characteristic of experience. It happens like this. Much of the time, we something is tries to wriggle away from that or deny that. We try to get things straightened and sorted and predicted and fixed and secure, but it, it continually keeps shifting away. Things continually break away from the patterns that we impose upon them. Another characteristic is that experiences has this quality of being incomplete. It's always something that we could be better, or is about to be, or isn't quite enough, or I'd like to make more of if it's good, or give it to somebody else so it'd be even better, or make it last longer, or it's really not enough, you know, not good enough, not adequate, not fast enough not effective enough, not this enough. So this is the characteristic of dukkha, of incompleteness, and also the experience that happens to us somehow gives a sense of, you know, it happens to me, there's an, uh, an otherness to it, it's not under my control, it doesn't really belong <coughs> to me, I can't quite handle it, manage it, predict it, make it work. So this is a sense of anatta, not mine. doesn't quite go the way I want it to. Um, it's other. Mm. And so, in the, we review in a kind of open way into this body these thoughts, these situations, I mean, in the macrocosm or the microcosm, and to the feeling <coughs> that happen in my body, are they something that you can predict unwaveringly? Do they throb and pulse, or are they just constant? Hmm? Is there any <coughs> thought that makes you feel this is it, this is all you ever need to know, finally? You know, the light is now on permanently, there'll never be a, a wonder what next. Or is it just this momentary sense of, ah, and then, oh, comes after it. 
or the happy, pleasant feeling you get. Oh, great, wonderful. And now, um, hmm, doesn't it go like that? Hmm. It's inconstant, incomplete. So, you know. Now, suffering itself is is our inability to um, meet that experience, this experience. If we're meeting it saying, it should be lasting and permanent, it should be complete and fulfilling, it should be mine and, and so forth, then we're going to struggle and suffer and perhaps even attempt to distort it in some way or another, willfully shove it into a shape like that would be mine and would last and would be fulfilling. Mm-hmm. There's a great amount of human endeavour is just about this, trying to to uh, stop that, those characteristics from manifesting, getting things predictable, getting things safe, getting things managed, getting things tidied up, you know, trying to bring around the right kind of conditions that will give one the, the happy space, comfortable place as long as possible and however long it is there's always that slight sense of disappointment when it doesn't quite work mm. and uh, for uh, and then the, the questioning what can I do you know, something I'm not quite good enough I haven't got it together yet so the sense of self arises out of the experience of not-self. The actual experience of life is not-self. You know, it's not mine, it happens to me, it's coming and going, it's not under my control. And as a kind of reaction to that, uh, what is formulated is a sense of self that tries to get it under, find some place that's under control and mine and holdable and manageable and my little zone, my little territory. Could be external, Uh, people do that and they, in various ways, political power or just owning some land or getting a circle of friends or whatever, something you can rely upon as mine. And then there are those people who think, well, this isn't going to work, let's do it internally. I'll get my zone in my mind or in my heart where it'll be okay and it'll be you know, predictable, safe pleasant, fulfilling happy space mm. uh, so this is of course the contemplative attempt mm. to, to, to get some mind and some permanence and some uh, satisfaction going mm. And uh, and around that very sense is generated the self. So self is, as an experience, is really a reaction. When things are flowing along, there isn't this sense of me, you know, doing it or whatever. Me, the me doing it bit is always me trying to go against what's flowing along, the unpredictable, the uncertain, the unmanageable aspect of it. 
that's uh, so anatta, for example, is just a, a pointing to the fallacy and the precariousness of that self-experience. It's not some kind of absolute philosophical viewpoint, so much as just a, a pointing to what, where does the sense of it arise from, the sense of self arise from. Rises out of this matrix of impermanence, unsatisfactoriness, and not self. If they weren't there, they wouldn't, we wouldn't have to have a self to try and sort things out, would we? <coughs> and then the Buddhist strategy of the Buddha is if you can actually meet this experience, then that sense of self doesn't have to be formulated. There could be freedom. Doesn't mean there's nobody here or there's nothing going on, but there would be the freedom from having to be someone who's in control, managing, figuring out, feeling they got it right, and then recognizing they didn't quite get it. But it's some nagging sense of not quite there yet, or the uh, or the conceit of holding on, feeling this is I have got it all, um, and and actually um, you know, standing against the unpredictable flow of experience, shutting it off. Mm. These are the various strategies of self-view. One is the the annihilationist view, which tends to wipe out experience that doesn't fit. And the other is the eternalist view, which tends to try to make more of and perpetuate the bits of experience that I can manage and feel good about. and uh, so this is normally done internally because the external world is much too too uh, radically a Nietzsche to even give us a much hope in doing that. <laughs> so, you know, but on the internal level of the mind, uh, it is possible to uh, kind of entertain and in some way follow these views just to kind of stop the experience happening. Shut down, or to sustain and stimulate and keep producing some kind of internal experience, a thought, a feeling, a mood, a state of mind, and kind of keep getting it going. Uh, very much in contemporary life, it's always important to be able to to um, understand or contemplate the internal and the external, <coughs> because uh, that when you c- contemplate that, then it generally means that you, some of your strategies are revealed, some of your strategies that one is following in a not terribly conscious way. You know, so it's contem or being in touch with the world outside of one's thoughts and feelings and moods and so forth um, and uh, recognizing how the world out when we come to external contact it doesn't, doesn't match so our attempt to get it all under control doesn't quite work um, our attempt to get away from it all doesn't quite work or is seen for what it is um, and, and our attempt to um, you know, have it all is seen for what it is, to be in charge of it all, to make everybody 
agree with me, follow my opinion, um, to make this uh, situation the way that I like it, and I want it, it makes me feel good. No, it doesn't quite work, does it? You've got to do a lot of bullying and browbeating to get anywhere near that. Um, And you begin to see some of the um, strategies that that one has a little more say over when one's dealing with his own internal experience. So, the two together the way that when we contemplate the whole body of experience, internally and externally, then we must come up against these these characteristics. Mm-hmm. Now these characteristics are really o- only characteristics, you know, ultimate truths in themselves, but they're the way that experience um, Happens to uh, you know through through the way we read it, way experience gets registered, yeah. and in themselves they are they're not uh, they don't cause us suffering in themselves, but our mishandling or our resistance to them does. So what we say the incompleteness and the um, unsatisfactoriness of the way experience happens doesn't have to be a source of us feeling stress and suffering and conflict. We can, so there's a possibility of not asking experience to be something other than it is. So this letting go of that asking for, that that feeding on, that clinging to, that requirement Mm which is not dismissing it all, it's just a load of rubbish, but saying, you know, I, I don't expect, I don't, I don't need this to be other than it is. And so that, that actually is also, you, you know, get an idea of that as an idea, but to be able to do that certainly means there's got to be enough, um, you know, enrichment of the, the wisdom and the heart faculties, the, the mind, if you like, wisdom, knowing, clarity, there's enough confidence, enough dwelling in that, that, that we're feeling regenerated and alive and awakened by this. Mm. So for an ordinary, untrained person, then it's very difficult to meet the characteristics of experience. And much of our training is is just beginning to handle that as a concept and then handle it as a reality so that when I experience the incompleteness, the fact nothing ever finishes, nothing ever really works, nothing ever is finalized, there's always something kind of tipping out of balance, I don't get fed up and despairing, irritated or um, deny it. I can stay, and this is definitely a possibility, we can recognize that in, in some levels, we can see that, that sense of ability to just take the next moment and bring forth what's good and right without saying, you know, this has got to be you know, the way I want it to be. I can still bring forth, say, you know, kindness, clarity. I can bring forth right effort, right action. 
just for its own sake, because that, that is true and it's something that's my possibility. Something that there is a possibility of doing. We call this good karma. Things don't have to be perfect before I can bring forth something good. You know, people don't have to be ideal angels before I can bring forth some sense of kindness and concern and, and uh, warmth for them. You know. And we can all do this, to some degree, and there's levels where we, we haven't got that. Either we just uh, miss the point, or we just somehow don't have the capacity. You know. It's too much. It's just too far away. It's, it's too much of a stretch. Uh, you know. or I don't have the resources. So there is a kind of like there's a path there, isn't it, to just gradually build up the strength to be able to meet this, these experiences. And the path in in you know, in, in very simple here and now terms, is sort of typified in the balance between the hindrances, which is what we, what occurs when we're not meeting, not able to meet the thing that stops us meeting experience in this way, and the enlightenment factors, which is when we actually have met ex- the experience as it happens to us. What, what enables us to meet it, what fruits come out of that meeting it, the mindfulness, the sense of um, being present, present awareness in the present moment, rather than the expectation or the it should be or, um, you know, all that stuff. Just, oh, it's like this now, that mindfulness. Uh, investigation of states, so contemplating, handling, actually something present there that's able to, what is this about? Oh, it's like a slight, something in the quality of awareness that goes forward, if you like. It meets, it goes forward into experience. What is this? Handles it, turns it around. You know? So this is both a requirement and something that um, as a fruition. There are seven enlightenment factors, but just keep it short, these two. And then the, from that, the sense of inquiry comes energy, from the sense of uh, there's vigor, there's a feeling of both of energy, also of potential. You know, aha, uh-huh, yeah, I can keep going, I'm going, there's something worth here, there's something worthwhile, I can go for this, yeah, I, I know, I can see, you know. So there's a sense of, of energy that enables us to stay with and uh, that very quality of energy gives rise to a, a sense of um, eagerness and uplift in the practice, which is rapture. Um, 
and then we begin to experience the quality of our own awareness that awareness that meets experience we go, oh, no matter you know this this is 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 up, is pleasant so it's something begins to be catalyzed at that place where we meet experience and it fruits in in the enlightenment factors which or awakening factors which are considered to be the kind of um the crucible of awakening mm. like the way that awakening begins to, m- to be manifest rather than just as an idea and uh, these, uh, the, the edge of experience where we're, when, when we're unsteady we're not meeting it is the hindrances ill will uh, sense desire of, uh, and uh, ambition the first is some kind of hankering to summarize it and then ill will recoiling distaste aversion uh, negativity uh, dullness is the third restlessness worry an agitated worrying terrier like kind of gnawing it, not being able to put it down, not being able to spit it out, not being able to swallow it, kind of moving, fretful, uh, and in doubt or uncertainty. And doubt is the, the sum total of all the others, in a way, because it's not just a lack of knowledge, it's a, it's a fundamental feeling of what the what the uh, uh, what I do, am I am I not what the hell, you know like the the ground disappears you know vertigo existential vertigo which way's up what am I supposed to do <coughs> here am I supposed to do nothing do I exist do I not what what where do I go you know? um, and that becomes something that makes us feel inadequate uh, I don't know I can't so when I feel inadequate, I don't mean withdraws. I don't know that. So I'll move away from that edge, which is a bit that I feel a bit more strong or confident about. You know, so that doubt causes us to gradually retract and contract away from away from the edge of experience. And so, in a way, then doubt um, is the end result. But it's also um, the thing that you know conditions the other hindrances because in order to move away experience I've got to have something that I want I hanker for and because of that I don't, can't feel good with this if I, I create or imagine or fantasize or look for something that I can get to you know. so there's the hankering or the ill will of, of uh, comes up uh, when I can't meet experience I feel inadequate I feel ill will towards myself you idiot, you're useless, da, 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 da. or towards others, bunglers, fools, nincompoops, can't get it right, um, or towards situations, <coughs> life, God, reality, the world, my mother, and so on. <laughs> the, the blame list, you know. Uh, and so the sense of sourness, cynicism, bitterness, and this, this, all this dulls out the mind. Um, and then we have to go restlessly looking for something to get us going again 
So these, these hindrances do cycle around. And one might say that the, um, the Buddha's fundamental thing is to, is to, is to attack doubt. by being able to say, well, that quality of, of dukkha that you experience, that's, that's what you can know. You, know. you can get to that. You, know, you can feel that. You can explore that. It's not something that you, you, know, you have to... Um, it shouldn't cause you any doubt. It's something that's a sign. Uh, and then you investigate it well, because that's, there's a dynamism in there. There's a holding in there. There's a um, trying to get in there. There's a trying to get rid of in there. That that can be let go of. And this you should have no doubt about. This is the path. So the Buddha kind of presents that for us. Mm. And says so you can't do this. Well, these are the kind of things, the medicines, the tonics that you need to get build, get up to strength with that. Right? Try some sense restraint, try some uh, moral discipline, try some meditation, <coughs> try some being in your body, uh, try some leveling your attention by holding onto a meditation sign, so that the, the, the ways of strengthening um, your, your, your resources. Mm. And doubt is perhaps, you might say, the first hindrance and, and the Buddha's archetypal foe, Mara, which literally means death, is, is also typified as the one who creates doubts. Says, You're not really, this isn't really it. You can't do this. this is, you, there's nothing here for you. It doesn't work. You're doing that. It's this kind of nagging um, experiences something that now he's always doubting appears as a figure that doubts the Buddha says to the Buddha well, you're not really awakened because if you were you wouldn't need to have a rest in the middle of the day or you know and so forth you know, these kinds of things or so it, it, it works by generating this, this sense of, of doubt yeah. mm. And again, what, what, what it's saying, what that doubt says in that particular case is, you know, if you were a Buddha, if you were a self, if you had complete control over everything, then everything would be, you know, constant and satisfactory. And the Buddha say, no, that's not the case, because the, the eye, the ear, the nose, the tongue, the body and the mind, they're not mine, you know, they're, they belong to nature. So I, I, re- I let go of those. They can be inconstant and uh, incomplete and uh, going through changes and rhythms and cycles. I, I recognise that. I don't claim to be other, but I don't, I don't claim ownership of those. They're like that. And through that, realises, you know, the quality of awakening is awakening to these, the wavering, the fallible, the changeable experience. Mm. In, in a dispassionate way, when one isn't suffering from where you are. 
The doubt is that which causes us to, to try to find some territory. Yeah. Try to find a, an opinion or a view. So doubt is often hidden under belief. To get away from the the variable and the ambiguous and the way that I don't really know and predict, I'll have a belief that says it's always going to be this way and this is the way it is and everybody should believe this and that's it, you know. And that kind of caps it, doesn't it? So belief is a reaction to doubt fills up that empty space, that aching space, put a belief in there, put a dogma in there. And you don't have to have religious beliefs, you can have any old belief will do, or an ideology, um, you know, ideological stance of any kind, taking a stand on a thought, or a convention, or a strategy of any kind, saying this is it and only this and no other thing is worth considering or no, everything else is invalid apart from this. This is taking a view and, and of course it causes suffering, doesn't it? <coughs> With those who don't follow that. And you're trying to kind of browbeat everything into this way, the way that it works for me or I like it. And this is uh, comes out of a doubt that we perhaps haven't fully acknowledged. The doubt is this, when it can be so quick, the reaction to that, to doubt. Or, or, or the belief is placed there so that doubt won't even touch me. But when you recognize that the Nature of if the nature of experience is inconstant and changeable and unpredictable, how else could experience? How you know if the mind is looking for certainty and constancy and and satisfaction in things, then the mind's intention is going one way, you know, towards things being one way, and reality is going another way. When they hit, when they touch, what's going to happen? Uh, there's going to be a sense of, oh, what's going on? Well, what, what, I don't get this. What's happening here? This isn't the way I planned it. This isn't the way it should be. No. And then anger. They're messing me up. They're getting in my way. <laughs> or something like that occurs. Ill will. Or some kind of hankering. I, create, you know, I want to get somewhere where it'll be the way I should be. That's what we'll do. We'll set up a system that would be the way it should be. Um, so, make me think of that. Certainly being, being a, a Buddhist monk, you know, very cranky old things, old fuddy-duddy old cranky old system, it'd be nice to create a new, new really efficient, effective, no rubbish, straight down the line, eco-friendly, everything, all the good signs on its system, rather than this kind of tatty old, dowdy, 2,500-year-old model. Get a new one with tail fins and chrome, um, and none of this kind of you know, medieval garbage on it. It'll be the way I want it and like it. 
Mm. And perhaps without recognising, yeah, but in five years' time, people would be, this would be derelict too, wouldn't it? <laughs> the newer wave. So why don't we stay with something that's kind of like this and say, well, yeah, this is it, it's an old car. You know, it's an old car. It's the way old cars are, you know. Um, and yet, uh, it basically, it does present you with the opportunity of meeting the three characteristics head on. Uh, it's, it's good enough, it's still got wheels on it. In a way, it, it, it's kind of, um, I find it quite useful because it isn't something that personally I can say I utterly believe in as the blueprint for the humanity. Uh, and is you know, is ideologically exactly correct and squeaky clean, you know. So it isn't something I kind of feel fanatically um, fanatical about. So then, within that, one can meet experience and experience that sense of of incompleteness and uh, uncertainty and instead of trying to fill it up there's a sense of opening to that and letting the mind instead of being agitated or forceful or guilty or regretful these things, these, these qualities are produce pain, discomfort could they be re- could they be relaxed? Could I not take a stand on this? Could I not take a stand on this form or convention? Could I not take a stand on this idea or theory? Or take a stand against it? You know? So it's just it's left to float. Let it let it be as it is. It will float, and if it's still got life and vitality in it, then it will continue to float. Mm. It's not up to us to kind of make it other than it is, but to use it as a vehicle for awakening. Where you, you come forward, you, you investigate, you let yourself be touched by things. And you're working within a boundary whereby the responses that you give are to be moral ones and what comes to you will be by and large that which is bounded by precepts you have that kind of resource is provided so that one may get rocked and confused but you won't actually be abused violated cheated so there's a kind of degree of safety enough to make the discomfort something we can handle open to and there's the benefit of meditation of bringing up that quality of collectedness samadhi of energy of brightness that acts as another way in which we can hold our awareness rather than have it fracture and fragment and splinter into every this, that and the other 
that's another resource for us, isn't it? Mm. And we have primarily the Buddha's wisdom saying, "This is it's like this. This get clear about it. This is what you need to see and work with. Mm. And this is what I have seen and worked with. Mm. So that." is another resource. Discernment. So these, these hindrances are checked, cleared. They are the ineffectual responses to experience because they're ineffectual because no matter you know what one hankering doesn't gives one temporary, of course, gives one temporary gratification, but not a lasting one. One sense of ill will can give one a sense of temporary protection, but not lasting. The the dulling out of the mind can kind of soften the impact of experience, but not every now and then you keep waking up. So these are these are ineffectual. Mm. They're also things that we realise are uh, involuntary. You know, we don't uh, we see how out of control that our own uh, um, own awareness can be. So they are the places, they are the, the areas that we need to really meet and own up and investigate. Mm. What's happening? How, how am I meeting experience correctly or what? Or in, in line with the way things really are? Internally or externally? Near or far? Myself or in others? first sign of anicca is or impermanence is one that's uh, perhaps the most straightforward to me because it, in itself it's not painful it's not like uh, um, you know, it's something that we can you know come to witness come to terms with it can cause us to just loosen up a little bit and yet remain focused letting things flow and change. And if we do this, um, particularly working in terms of our own, way, our own ways of conceiving and handling experience, see that the, the, every thought I have comes and goes. It's just nature to do that. And the perceptions, the memories, the ways I label things, you know, comes and goes, it changes. Things slip away from that. Mm. So we see that the, the constructions that the mind comes up with in order to, to make experience um, finite and limited, you know, think, so you give a thing a name, is a way of carrying it within that particular name as permanent. Like, you know, 
it's like this, I thought it, I understand it means it's always like this, it's kind of encapsulated in that experience. So, you know, human beings develop very profound and refined thought constructions to cover the universe. Now we've got it down, you know, we've got it sorted. Uh, until we come to the, but but still, I mean, people have been doing this for thousands of years, and still begin to recognise there's just a little bit left that we haven't quite figured out yet. And you know, in a thousand year times, there'll just be a little bit left that we haven't quite figured out yet. You know, why is that? Why is that the case? Because thought can't do it. Thought is um, an imposition on experience. It's like a four-foot blanket on a six-foot body. It can't quite cover it. But because it covers a bit of it, you know, you feel the, the warmth over most of you. You think, oh, this is pretty good. Then you find it, oh, my toe's sticking out the bottom. Mm-hmm. But you didn't notice that at first. <coughs> What's that funny cold thing? Oh, it's my toe. Oh, that isn't covered. So you stretch the blanket a little more. Oh, that's better now. Yeah, that's it. What's that funny thing? My ears are cold. <laughs> it's rather like that. Because uh, as, as, we, as we cover the universe with thought, and of course the thinking process itself, and the one who thinks is not covered by that. You know, the very activity. Why do I think? Why do I think? Oh, what's thinking? I don't know. Okay. Um, what do I think? Oh, I was thinking, well, who thought that? Um, <laughs> there's always a little bit left, isn't there, in, in that that you can't quite cover. So, uh, and then you've got it all held together and it starts to, the, the fabric starts to break up. This is the nature of thought. And every thought itself is only held by a particular will particular determination to hold it together, the belief in it. Now if we relax some of that and just if you're doing meditation, thoughts start to come and go and flow and you realise you can think of any old thing really and it can get quite um, delirious almost, the thinking system just cranking out thoughts. then what actually is any thought like as an experience? What is a thought? You know, forget the topic. What is any thought? And something kind of comes up and disappears. What is that? Can you witness the beginning of a thought? or the end of a thought. The moment when it's, there's no thought at all, and then a thought is just really all there. Or isn't it more like it's, there's a stillness that starts to stir, and then this thing kind of wiggles into existence. 
it doesn't come out, come out in one shot. It sort of begins to, con- you know, um, crystallize, takes a slow form, forms, formulates slowly out of some kind of interest or wish or, or and it comes out of doubt. Is where thought comes from. Is this sense of openness? If your if your mind does stop thinking, there's an openness, and then there's a and the thought comes up. So it doesn't really begin exactly. What begins is, you might say, what is present there as a latent tendency is the tendency to <coughs> doubt and to, to, to want certainty. That latent tendency is, is in the in the in the in the field of awareness, and it it must form something. It forms a thought, and even the thought is 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 rubbish. I've got something, and I start to react to that, and I'm alive, and I'm here. I'm thinking it, and I'm stopping thinking. I'm worrying my thinking. I was trying to straighten my thinking out. That's a good thought. That's a bad thought. Stop it. How do I think? What am I? How do I get out of this? And I'm, I've got some action there, and I'm really there. And I feel solid. And there's me, and I'm self, and I'm, you know, I'm a terrible self, but I'm, I'm real, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and so on, you know. And so we think about how to get rid of this self. And all the time, you know, the whole actual construction is is emphasizing, confirming it. But then even a terrible thought. A stupid thought, pointless thought. Could there be a letting go of that holding of a thought? It really is just what it is. It's not not a take on me, not mine, not something I really have control over, not something I have to take a stand on. So the very field of, the, of awareness changes. So instead of that grasping and wanting and having, there's a sense of, let that be. There's some confidence there. I can let that be. I think a stupid thought be a stupid thought. Good, fine, let it be that way. And it starts to melt. It dissolves. So it's not like, hey, wonderful, I got rid of thought. Because if we, if we come up with that attitude, the quality of the field of the mind changes again. We've gone back into, here am I, have control on top of that, and sooner or later we start thinking again. Mm. Or we create something else. So the process is one of the deconstruction or the release of awareness from this formulating habit. Formulating anything. Mm. So if, we, if thought ceases or passes, and we start to formulate success out of that, then we're back, the whole process of attachment starts up again. If we start to formulate, I'm somebody who now has conquered thought, or doesn't think, you know, then the whole process is still alive and kicking. There's still that self-investment, that taking a stand, so this really is like 
the openness of awareness in that way the non-grasping is almost like the transformation of doubt into um, openness which instead of that the natural uncertainty and openness of experience being something that we cramp over it becomes something we unfold into to let it be this way let it be this way let it have no conclusion let it not go anywhere let it not produce me as some permanent wonderful self or some terrible disgusting self let it just be like that mm. and then that might the quality of awareness can unfold so we've, then we've actually met experience and responded to it in a way that really consents to the, the characteristics that are presented and taking them in and done our learning with that and there's a fruition What's the fruition when there isn't a need to formulate, construct? What's that? The fruition when we don't need to formulate, construct, get it right, see it wrong, make it permanent, make it impermanent. Then the way that experience manifests doesn't follow those characteristics. So that the very paradigm of of experience as it normally happens to us, which causes these reactions, and those reactions which which either deny um, impermanence, unsatisfactoriness and not-self, or make an ideology out of it, those those reactions can cease. And this is the... uh, the awakened possibility, the possibility of that awakened mind. So the so the, the doorway of impermanence is considered to be, you know, a way we can start to um, get a sense of that. What happens when we don't hold a thought, or we see thought as it really is? It's just a, a wavering, and a, and a condensing, and a firming up that can relax and release so there's nothing really fundamentally there to get rid of and there's nothing really fundamentally there to hold on to so those strategies of the mind can be seen and, and realized as you don't need to do this you can you know there's, there's a value in not doing this it's not terrible it's not frightening it's actually really valuable not do that and our challenge is to be able to have various thoughts opinions views that come up for us and see them all as well that's that's that yeah that's that and what do you do what does it do what does that conviction do what does that opinion do if you don't rev up on it and you don't delight in it and you don't resist it what does it do by itself 
Mm. So the beauty of meeting experience at this level of the three characteristics is it's only there that conditions conditioned experience can liberate itself. It, it liberates itself because if it didn't liberate itself, who else would liberate it? It, it has to be that way. It's, so it's in that resting on and taking in and fully aligning to the, the apparent characteristics of existence that, they, that existence starts liberating and liberating or releasing attachment and grasping. So we have to find ways to meet this, and our edges are many, and come up for us day after day. Looking at any situation, what does one predict? Forget it. What did you expect? <coughs> know that is what it is. Uh, what kind of uh, tomorrow? What's that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Believe it? You believe it? Uh, another person? What's that? Do you believe that? Do you believe that's true? You're going to buy into that? Or yourself? The opinion you have about yourself? You're going to believe that? You're going to buy into some permanence? You're going to believe in the structures of the mind or, you, or just know that you've been affected that way. You're carrying a sense of fear or irritation or sadness or whatever it is or hope or eagerness or passion of some kind. Fine. You know, and then, well, what's that feel like? What's that about? So you come down to the very you know, elemental um, qualities which we construct experience out of. Out of confusion, out of anticipation, out of hope, out of wanting, out of resistance. And when you begin to see it like that, yeah, you know, could this be relaxed for one moment? Just one moment, just that act of faith for one moment, for two moments, for three moments. Just to say, what would it feel like without that future, past, self, other? What would it feel like without that? Would that be what you want? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, 